Amen. Amen. Could you say thank you to the worship team? So good. So good. When I came up for the worship wrap-up, I really wanted to break into a chorus of John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. If you don't know why that's funny, you should follow me on Facebook. If you're not my friend, then you're hurting my feelings, so just saying. Hey, I'm going to put these out here. You know how we do it. In, in COVID, these are first come, first serve, so I'll spread them out really far so you can social distance. This is a book. These, this is really good. This is about stories in New York City about how God is bringing unity to that city. That, that, there you go, Donald. I like the way you do it. And this magazine right here is The Common Good. That's uh, from an, a group that I'm a part of called Faith, Work, and Economics. That's good stuff in that too. So you, you feel free. We're a, we're a church that believes in... There you go. Not being ashamed, making a move. When you're done reading that, Nathaniel wants it. You pass it on. You pass it on. Hey, can I just encourage you to every week? I mean, this isn't just for Christmas, but right all year round, that we're hoping that you're finding something in our messages that you take with you during the week. I know we cover a lot of content and we cover a lot of ground, but, but just find one or two things that you can reflect on in the week, and trust that the Holy Spirit's going to point something out. I know for me, last week in Juice's sermon, I've been thinking, I love that statement he made, that despair has a cousin, and his name, right, is cynicism. I was like, ouch. I'm not really a despairing person, but I am absolutely cynical. And the challenge that was for me, I love the imagery of the crow on the eagle's back and how the eagle would fly so high that the crow could not breathe. Come on, elevate. So good. Been saying that to myself all week. Elevate. Elevate. Can you bring me down just a hair? Thank you. If you're watching from home, I want to encourage you when we're done with this service, don't just log off and go about your night. Gather your family together. Have a conversation. Ask each other some questions. Was there anything during the worship time that maybe God spoke to you? Was there something that you felt that the Holy Spirit was pointing out to you? What's something from the message that you're going to take into the week that's coming? We hope that these services are not just something that start and stops for you, but brings you together in a place of community with one another and your family. This series, Hope is Here, and I've entitled the message tonight, Enter In. So back in 2002, Vanessa and I took a trip to celebrate our fifth anniversary there you go. Derek was two. We were pregnant with Ethan, so we took her younger sister, Tanya. She wasn't married then, right? Tanya wasn't married then, and so we took her to be our nanny on that trip with us, and we went to the Dominican Republic, and we did an all-inclusive resort. I don't know if you're familiar with that concept, but you pay everything up front so that once you get there, you don't have to open up your wallet, not for one thing dinners, meals, desserts, everything that's on-site, on the resort, everything's paid for. No gratuities, no tips, although we did learn if you leave a, a dollar or two in your room in the morning, you get extra towels and extra bottle of water from the maid service. But outside of that, everything's paid for. Everything's paid for. And the first day we were there, we're walking around, and we realized that there were these little stations set up all throughout the resort as you're walking around. So we kind of wandered up to one, and we realized it's a coffee station. And next to the coffee, there was a, 
a, a picture what looked like half and half. So we picked that up, and we're pouring it in, and we're like, this is the thickest half and half I have ever seen. This must be like Dominican Republic half and half. Maybe it's three quarters quarter. And then all of a sudden, we had an epiphany. This isn't half and half. This is sweetened condensed milk. And I'm telling you, you have not had a cup of coffee until you have doused it with sweetened condensed milk. Yeah, somebody's preach. And, and then we realized throughout the week that if you timed it right, you could just work your way from station to station. And by the time you were done with this cup, you were ready to just replenish it when you got to the next one. And then at night, they had a dessert buffet. Late night dessert buffet. Now, you needed a late night dessert buffet because you couldn't sleep. Because you've been drinking coffee with sweetened condensed milk all day. Nobody ever walked up to us and said, Mr. and Mrs. Michaud, we're going to have to ask you to stop drinking so much coffee while you're here. Please save some for the rest of the people. They may or may not have had to say to me, Mr. Michaud, please don't drink directly out of the sweetened condensed milk pitcher. Nobody came to us at the dessert buffet and said, you can only go through the line just once. Why? Because we had paid for it. We'd pay for it up front in full, and there was no limit to what we could find. There was, at the dessert buffet, a homemade rum raisin ice cream that was almost as good as the sweetened condensed milk that we put in our coffee. Now, I've discovered that I have a dairy allergy a few years ago. I'm still mourning that. But before that, I was an ice cream consumer. Breyer's vanilla bean ice cream, nothing better except maybe Haagen-Dazs rum raisin. But I'm just telling you, the rum raisin ice cream that was down there in the Dominican Republic made Haagen-Dazs rum raisin ice cream taste like cardboard. And it's a good thing we were staying on the resort, because after you had a couple of bowls of that, you really should not be driving anywhere. At no point on that whole trip did anyone say to us that there is a limit to what you should have here. Because everything was paid in full. Let me tell you something about hope tonight. Jesus has already paid the bill for you for all the hope you could ever hope to have. Hope is here. It's free for the taking. And so what I'm saying to you tonight is enter in. Jesus is never going to come to you and say, no more hope for you. An angel hasn't been assigned to you to measure your hope consumption. When Jesus died on the cross, there are the riches of redemption that are free for the taking. And there's no limit for how much you can have. I'm going to reveal my age a little bit. But when I was a kid and we would go out, we were Sunday church people then, Shoney's was our place of splurge, I'd either get the Shoney's Big Boy, the burger, or I'd get the fish and chips. And if it was a really special day, then we were allowed to get soda and not water. But you only got one because the concept of free refills did not exist when I was a kid. Anybody else old like me in here, right? And so once you got the first soda, you knew you better savor that thing because after that, it's just water from there. Because if they were to bring you another soda, they're going to charge you for that too. 
the idea of a fast food restaurant, now I'm just angry, of the soda fountain machine being on this side of the counter, I'm kid, you have no idea how good you have it in this life. There was no such thing as going back up to the counter and getting another drink unless you were going to pay for it. It was free. For some of us with hope and the other riches of redemption, we, we have postured ourselves as if we are living in a world where there are limits that are placed on us for how much we can have. And I hope that tonight that you're going to break free from that because Jesus has paid in full for all the hope that you could ever hope to find. Listen to this in 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19. It says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was precious. It was the precious blood of Christ the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. I watched a movie recently called All the Money in the World about the Getty family and the kidnapping of his grandson. I'm not recommending this be a family Christmas movie for you. It's definitely an adult crime film. But it does give a pretty accurate sketch of the Getty family. At, At his point in time in his life, he was the richest man in all the world. But yet, even then, there were times where he lived as though he had nothing For too many of us as devoted followers of Christ, Jesus has paid such a price for us to have the riches of redemption, and yet we live spiritually too often as if we are in poverty. 1 John 2.2 reads this way, and he himself, speaking of Christ, is the propitiation, I'm going to tell you what that word means, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. For my theological word nerd people, there's a word in the Bible called expiation. That means that the guilt of your sin has been removed. Propitiation is the theological term that means that the wrath of God has been satisfied. Expiation and propitiation are two words on the same coin. There can't be expiation without propitiation. There can't be propitiation without expiation. When Jesus died for the sins of the world, our guilt was removed and the wrath of God was satisfied. And the riches of redemption were pushed onto the table for you and I, free for the taking. No limit. I love Psalm 49, 7 to 8 reads this way. They, speaking of us, cannot redeem themselves from death by paying a ransom to God. A redemption does not come so easily for no one can ever pay enough. It's a powerful reminder to us that if Jesus had not paid the price, it would not have been paid because it was an impossible debt that could only be covered by the life of Jesus himself. Romans 15, 13 gives us the key for hope and where to find it. It's going to come up on the screen. I'm going to read it for you. It says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Now listen to what it says. Listen to what Paul writes here. It says, then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I think some of us, we struggle with finding hope in this life, this incredible 
part of the riches of redemption because we are constantly looking for hope somewhere else than it really is. Because what Paul's saying here is that hope is inside of you. Now this sermon is for people who have made a vow of devotion to Christ. And if you've not, then we'd love to talk to you at the end of the service right here. If you're watching online and you've never made a vow of devotion to Christ, you can go into a prayer chat room right now with one of our hosts. Because this promise is not for you if Christ is not inside of you. But I love what Paul is saying here to us. That there's an overflow. Some translations render it, you will abound in hope, but all of them still have the phrase at the end, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Where is he? He's in us. I think for some people, you look for hope when your circumstance begins to change, but that's not hope, that's called relief. For some of you, you look for hope in your friends and your family, but that's not hope. That's called comfort. For some of you, you look for hope by immersing yourself in in, in hobbies and interests, but that's just called distraction. Now, all of these things are important. I'm not saying that they aren't. If you're facing a difficult situation, then yes. Let's look for a turn in the circumstances, and let's feel better about our situation when it turns. That's a good thing. I'm not saying don't look to your friends and your family for comfort because we all need that. And I'm certainly not saying don't have healthy hobbies that you can immerse yourself in because when you're stressed out, sometimes really what you need is a distraction. This is part of healthy living. But that's not where hope comes from, people. Hope is something different. Hope is something that is supernatural. And hope is something that if it's pure, if it's really part of the riches of redemption and only comes by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you who resides in you if you've made a vow of devotion to Christ. Paul is saying to you and me that there is an overflow of hope waiting for us within. The question is, will you enter in? It's not a question of whether or not it's there. It's not a question of whether or not you have to manufacture it. Paul is saying it's inside of you. You just have to enter in and to begin to partake of the hope that is already there. I think people have a hard time finding and connecting with the hope that is in them. I think people have a hard time finding their way to that part of their heart. For some of you, maybe you have never been to that part of who you are. It could be that tonight that you've lived your life immersed in such a sense of negativity that you didn't even know that hope was inside of you, that you had a choice. And I'm praying that tonight you're going to lay down that negativity and you're going to find the hope that resides inside of you because Jesus paid the price for it to belong to you. I'm going to give you three principles tonight that I believe are the reason why people struggle with connecting to the hope that is inside of them. The first one is this, you got to have a vision. You've got to have a vision for a better tomorrow. It takes discipline to have a vision for a better tomorrow. You, you, you've got to be willing to have a vision for a better tomorrow and, and know that that doesn't mean that you have to be in denial about the desperation of your present situation. See, one of the reasons why people, I think, struggle sometimes with hope is because they, they believe in what I call a false choice. 
They, they believe that if I'm going to be hopeful, then I can't be honest about my desperation and my sadness. And, and, and then some people, they might say, well, well if, if, if I'm going to be honest about my desperation and my sadness, then it would be inauthentic for me to be hopeful. But that's a false choice, people. It's a false choice. It's one of the reasons why the book of Psalms is given to us. The book of Psalms is the most incredible mixture of hope and desperation that you will find in all of Scripture. Sometimes David, he moves in and out of hope and desperation in the Psalms that he's writing to the point that it seems as though he doesn't even know who he is. And what we find in that place is permission. That there's nothing wrong with you being honest and transparent about your despair. In fact, I would argue that the more honest you are about your despair, the more honest you are about your sadness, the more honest you are about your doubt, with every confession and expression of those feelings, they are like steps that are leading you into, towards the place of hope that resides inside of you. Futility is the fertility that makes it possible for hope to overflow in our hearts. Futility is the fertility that makes it possible for hope to overflow in our hearts. Romans 8, 24 says this, We were given this hope when we were saved. It's powerful, isn't it? This is what Paul comes back to when he gets to Romans 15. He's saying it's inside of you. We were given this hope when we were saved. And, and then there's this parenthetical clause that says if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. Paul's saying that if you want to connect with hope, don't forget there is a pathway of lack that takes you there. If you've been a part of this church for any amount of time, you know that one of the challenges that, that we give to you is that at some point you have to engage this life that we call Christianity. That if we're not careful, because of the incredible promises of this book, we can find ourselves adopting kind of an attitude of entitlement when it comes to the good things of God. So, so often, when we can't take a step, God will come to us. I believe that. But can I just tell you that one of the things that God also challenges us to is that we take a step and He meets us halfway. Because there's something about you and I stepping into a place of self-governance with our will that he gave to us, telling our minds and our physical bodies and our emotions that they are not the boss, that you have a will to engage, and you have to choose to follow the prompting and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Romans 5, 3 through 5 reads this way, we can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. What, what's Paul talking about here? He, he's saying that there's, our humanity needs to be whipped into shape if we're going to fully benefit from the riches of redemption. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. 
For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. It's within you. Enter in. Principle number two is be content. You've got to have a vision for a better tomorrow. The second one is be content. Listen to this. Being content with the promise of God's goodness is vital in the absence of a guaranteed outcome. Being content with the promise of God's goodness is vital in the absence of a guaranteed outcome. I believe this is one of the reasons why people have a hard time connecting to the hope that is already within them because they don't have any sense of what the outcome is going to be. And so they they struggle with, how can I be hopeful if I don't know how this thing is going to turn out? And my answer to you is because of the promise of the goodness of God. Sometimes has to be enough for us. Does God sometimes give us a promise of the outcome? I believe that he does. I think there are times where God supernaturally speaks to us and gives us an assurance of what's to come in the crisis that we face. And those kinds of promise, they they become an anchor for us. But there are other times where God does not give us a promise of an outcome. As we look into Scripture, we find here in Romans 4, so much of Romans, right, is about hope. It's an incredible story of how Abraham and Sarah had a promise of an outcome, but even for them it was hard. Listen to Romans 4, 18 and 19. It says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. Why? Because God told him that he would. He had a promise. And even though here Paul characterizes him as being hopeful, we know from the story that there were times where he wrestled with doubts. So it says, for God said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's. But yet that's when they had their child. They They had a promise of an outcome. Even then, it was a difficult journey for them, wrestling and struggling with doubt. What I would say to you Don't believe that you can't be hopeful if you don't have a promise of a guaranteed outcome. And don't fall under the the, the myth of the lie that if you did have a promise of a guaranteed outcome, that your journey would still be easy. Because human nature is still one that doubts. Sometimes the promise of the goodness of God has got to be enough. Psalm 27, 13 anchor verse for us as a church. Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. There is a reason why this psalm does not stop at verse 13. It continues to go to verse 14 where it says, wait patiently for the Lord. Why is that? Because sometimes it feels like his goodness takes longer to find us than it should. Wait patiently for the Lord and be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Especially in this year, in 2020, you might say that you have faced more doubt in this year than maybe you have ever faced before. And my encouragement to you is the reservoir of hope inside of you has been unchanged and untouched by what's happening in the world around us. We're not untouched by this world. We're not untouched by the tragedies that are taking place around us. We're not untouched by the strife that's going on with even within the church of the world. 
not just America, but all over the place. But what Paul wants us to understand when he wrote this letter is that no matter what's happening out here, there is a hope that is inside of you. And that you and I have to learn to enter into that place of hopefulness that is supernaturally present because of who Christ is within us. Number three, stay wise. Have a vision, be content, stay wise. Staying wise to the schemes of the devil that try to fill you with shame, obscuring the way to the hope that is within you. Let me read that again. Staying wise to the schemes of the devil that try to fill you with shame, obscuring the way to the hope that is within you. You know, in Revelation 12, Verses 9 through 11, I'm just going to reference them. The Bible talks about our adversary, the devil, who we believe is very real. And there's a word that is used to describe who he is here in Revelation. There's lots of different names for the devil in the, in the Bible. And, and, and in this one, he, he's, he's called the accuser of the brethren. It's the Greek word categoria. And like many words in all languages, it is a combination of a couple of different words to bring together to articulate a thought. Kata is against, and agora is a public place. So this idea of him being the accuser of the brethren, this idea of categoria it means that the, that the devil is constantly making accusations about us in a public fashion. It's interesting to me that the root of this word is the same that we find in Romans 8 that we talked about not too long ago, about there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ. The reason why these words share a history, so to speak, is because when there is an accusation, it can lead to condemnation. And I believe that one of the reasons why people have a hard time connecting to the hope that is inside of them is because the devil is incredibly busy trying to remind you and I of who we used to be. And sometimes he's not reminding us of who we used to be. He's busy reminding us who we're struggling to stop being right now in our presence. Because the devil understands and he knows that he cannot undo what Jesus has already paid. He can't change that. When Jesus died on the cross for you and for me and this idea of him Paying in full the riches of redemption, there is nothing that he can do to change that outcome. When you make a vow of devotion to Christ, all of the riches of redemption again are pushed onto the table and are there for the taking, and many of them are birthed inside of us. But you know what the devil does? 
He tries to work on your heart to the point where you feel like you don't deserve to access those things that Jesus paid for you to have. And you know what the answer to that is? You don't deserve it, and neither do I, which is what we call grace. See, for too many of us, we're letting him win by agreeing with something that we cannot change. We are unworthy. We don't deserve it. But you know what? That didn't stop Jesus for paying the price. And that didn't stop Jesus from pushing it all onto the table, holding nothing back. Paul also wrote in Romans that God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait to see whether or not we were going to accept him. I think people oftentimes struggle with being hopeful because they feel undeserving. And I think for some of you tonight, that's your struggle. You look at the things that you're wrestling with. You look at the moments that maybe you disappoint yourself. You see the disappointment maybe on your family members' faces because you still struggle to become the person that you know that God created you to be. And the devil is constantly showing you the pictures of the expressions of disappointment that's on their face, flashing those things in front of you time and time again. And what I would say to you, you've got to keep coming to that table. In fact, I would say to you, you won't change and you won't become the person that God's created you to be until you sit down and feast at the table of the virtue of Christ that's free for you for the taking. You've got to push through that shame that tries to obscure and discourage you from finding the hope that's in your heart. We need to enter in to the hope that Christ has put inside of us. Not just for us, but for the world that is around us. See, I like to say that hope is contagious. But it's not contagious like we think of contagiancy, especially in the year of a pandemic. We understand very well what contagiancy is. There's a room right here full of people with masks on, sitting far apart from one another. We, we understand contagiancy. But hope is not contagious, contagious in the sense that you can catch it from someone else because you cannot catch what you already have. Hope is contagious in the sense that when you see someone being hopeful, in the, in the midst of a troubling circumstance, it inspires you to ask the question, how is that possible? And it begins a conversation, whether you realize it or not, within you, with the Holy Spirit. And he begins to say to you, well, let me show you how. See, one of the reasons why we want you to discover the reservoir of hope that is already within you so that you can, in the midst of your troubles, in the midst of your circumstance, not being in denial, not being honest about your doubt and your troubles and your sorrows, but even in the midst of all of that, having a countenance and an outlook and a vision for a better tomorrow in spite of what you're facing. It inspires people around you to ask the question, how is that possible? And if they don't know who Christ is, then it leads to a conversation about them finding Christ as their Savior. 
But if they've already made a vow of devotion to Christ, it creates an opportunity for you to begin to talk with them about the hope that is already inside of them. And that the trust that the Holy Spirit is going to birth in them what He has birthed in you because it's paid in full. And what He's waiting for us is to enter in. Is to enter in. Can I just tell you the reminders of your failures aren't always just going to come from within. Sometimes they come from outside. From people. People you've disappointed people that you've hurt, people that you've let down, maybe even people that you've made an honest effort to be reconciled to them, but their pain is so deep that they're not ready to step into any place of forgiveness. Things that people can post on your wall on Facebook, emails that you can get. Just telling you, these, these, these reminders can come from all different kinds of places. And what I would say is that when those reminders come, you've got to have the courage to acknowledge and accept the fact that all of us have regrets. But those regrets led to your redemption. And in your redemption, there is nothing that Jesus holds back from you. There is a hope within you, people. Enter in. Enter in. I invite the worship team to find their way back up. As they come, I want to read you these two verses as we close. We're going to worship and then I'll come back up at the end and transition us. I just want to do a brief reminder here that if you're watching online or maybe you're here in person this week and you weren't here last week, that, that we're returning to a place of prayer ministry as part of every week moving forward from here. And so at the very end of the service, that when we dismiss you, that if you want to stay in here, we would ask that you continue to posture in a place of worship and, and prayer. And then there'll be prayer teams here at the front. We'll be masks, and there's a way to pray for you in a way that makes you feel safe. If you're watching online, we would say the same thing. You don't have to log off right away. We have hosts that are there for you that can take you into a private chat room, and you can talk and and, and, and have a, a sense of dignity if there's some things that are private that you want to share and let that person pray with you online. Listen to the, these two verses. This one's in 2 Peter 1.3. By His divine power, by His divine power, you cannot manufacture hope on your own. God has given us everything that we need for living a godly life. That's incredible, isn't it? It is incredible. He has already given us everything we need. Now, I know it might feel like sometimes he left some things off your shopping list that you were supposed to get. But God is perfect. And if it feels like it's missing, it's just because you haven't found yet the way to connect with it inside of you. But that's why the Holy Spirit is there within you to help guide the way. So what Peter says, we have received all of this by coming to know him. Who? Jesus the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. 
He's given you everything that you need. All the hope that you could ever find is already within you by the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 John 5, 21, listen to this. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Stand with me as I pray. Father, we know that one of the reasons why we have a hard time finding the hope that is inside of us, it's because our heart is too crowded with too many desires. Our, our heart, Lord, looks too often like a subway station in New York City at rush hour. We, we, can, we can barely move because there's just too much going on in there. And I pray that throughout this series for us, Lord, for those that are here, for those that are watching on home, I, I pray that you would help us to begin to set aside things in our heart that do not belong there things that are have taken up space that doesn't belong to them. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to begin to sort through who we are, who we've chosen to be, attitudes that we have, memories that we hold on to, maybe even relationships that are toxic and unhealthy. Help us make room in our hearts for you. Especially during this Christmas season, help us to not be the city that had no room for the Savior that was born into this world. May it be that we would make room in our hearts for you, Jesus. And may it be, may it be that all of the riches of redemption would begin to crowd out the brokenness of our humanity and may it be that this holiday season that we would enter in in Jesus' name come on let's worship together